This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and Happy New Year! Way. This is the Filmmakers Podcast and it is year 2024, people. Thank you so much for joining us again, for choosing the Filmmakers Podcast to listen to you, for hopefully understanding the filmmaking world and landscape. We've been doing this five years now. There is so many episodes on how you can go out there and make your films from making it from micro budget all the way up to winning Oscars for your shorts and features so uh, dive into the back catalogue filmmakerspodcast.com I'm Giles Alderson and you are Dom Lenoir yay Dom Lenoir um, who is the main host on today's brand new on, on our first episode of the year because he sat down with one life director james hawes and that is who is our guest this week dom what did you chat about with james we talked about how he got one life going we talked about Mm. dealing with the difficult but rewarding story true life story uh working with children and difficult material dom and james also talked about casting oh and what happened when james went for breakfast with anthony hopkins when pitching him the film he also talks about why cinema has a chance to come back. Um, he also talks about financing the film, scripting and editing, how they are one, and camera moves and designs. I wonder what, wonder what Anthony Hopkins had for breakfast. Mmm, that's an interesting. We should have asked him I, that. I feel like he's a, I feel like he's like a sort of a traditional guy. It would be probably like a like a smoked smoked salmon or maybe a, like a, a porridge or something. You know, a scrambled egg. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. yeah. Smoked salmon yeah. and scrambled egg with, with kind a, of guy. With a fresh, I think that's what Yeah, it is. fresh orange juice. Yeah. Big yeah. smile With a face. lovely fresh yeah. Earl Grey tea. Yeah. Good lad. Mmm. And some toast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, vegan butter though. I imagine he has that. Good lad. What else did you talk about, Tom? <laughs> uh, we Paul. also talked about slow horses <laughs> and why you should keep coming up with new ideas and collaborations. Oh, if you haven't seen Slow Horses, it's a fantastic uh, TV series that James uh, was one of the main directors on. He did all six episodes in and 2022. formulators of. Yes, indeed. James Hawes is a British television director. He's basically been working in the British television drama since the mid-90s. Wow. Um, he's also produced documentaries uh, and for, Britain, for Britain and American television networks. Some of his main dramas were the relaunch of Doctor Who, and Enid, which is a biopic starring Helena Bonham Carter about celebrated children's author Enid Blyton, which won James Hawes a BAFTA nomination as Best Director in 2010. Um, other credits include The Chatterley Affair, um, Fanny Hill, The 39 Steps, Merlin, uh, DCI Banks, The Suspicions of Mr. Witcher, Mad Dogs, The Challenger Disaster, Penny Dreadful, Undercover, Black Mirror, um, which he did the episodes Hated in the Nation and Smithereens. And he also has directed The Alienist, Snowpiercer and Raised by Wolves, as well as Dom says, Ooh. Slow Horses. Um, One Life is technically his first feature film, even though some of those I read out were TV movies or m- movies that were made for television. But One Life is technically his directorial debut, which is quite incredible because it is absolutely fantastic, isn't it, Dom? It's not, it's not bad. It's not, not bad. Yeah. bad. It's, uh, it's my joint top pick of the year uh, of all the uh, wow. 2023 films wow. um, along with memory yeah it's just a, it's just a brilliant like moving charming nicely made drama yes it's a, it's a, picks all the boxes it's a bio 
biographical uh, drama film which is based on the true story you might remember this uh, of the British humanitarian humanitarian Nicholas Wilton um, as he helped groups of Jewish children in German occupied Czechoslovakia to hide and flee in 1938 and 39 just at the beginning of World War II the film stars Anthony Hopkins as we've mentioned Johnny Flynn as the younger version of Anthony Hopkins uh, also stars Lena Olin uh, Ramallah Gari Alex Sharp Jonathan Price and Helen Helena Bonham Carter in supporting roles as well. HBC. HBC, yeah. It had, a, had its premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival uh, in September last year and um, it had its European premiere at the London Film Festival last month. It was released yesterday by Warner Brothers in the United Kingdom. It is in cinemas. Go watch it. It is definitely, a, definitely like a, a feel-good film to start the year with uh, and yes. uh, deeply engaging well. As you described it's not, it. It's not a slow or a boring one. No, no, it's it's superb. So, uh, link to where you can watch it is probably in the show notes, but if not, it's on. It's called One Life, and it is in cinemas now. Go support. Uh, and obviously, Dom also talks with James about Slow Horses, which you can find... Apple TV. On Apple TV right now. It is New Year's Day. When me and Dom are recording this, how was your Christmas and New Year, Dom? Did you get any wonderful filmmaking gifts and festivities? Uh, I got the gift of wonderful film watching Ooh. I did watch Die Hard uh, 1 um, mm-hmm. for, for Christmas which was, which was brilliant Home Alone I mean Home Alone is just it's, it, it really is like it's, it's a masterclass maybe above even like any amazing drama film ever in like filmmaking quality because you can watch it literally like every sort of two or three years and never get bored of it yes. and never you know it never gets slow it never stops being funny I got a couple of really great uh, Christmas books. Christmas books. I got a, Ooh, a great naughty. filmmaking book for Christmas. I got um, mm-hmm. The Path to Paradise, Francis Ford Coppola story. And I got The Last Action Heroes um, by Nick DeSemblian. Um, I, I, not to be confused with Francis and Anne, which, which I... No, not to be confused. Nicknamed Francis Ford Coppola. No. And I also got The Diary of a CEO, which I think is really useful for filmmakers as well. Stephen Bartlett's which book. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. As it's so hard for filmmakers, but you've got to be in control of your lives uh, and in control of your destiny as a filmmaker and producer so I'm yeah. really enjoying diving into see, that uh-oh. already exactly um, coming up for you this year on the Filmmakers Podcast I know we've mentioned these Ooh. on the episodes previous but why not this Friday Dom sits down with Rustin director George C. Wolfe um, who is also the director mm. of Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom Rustin has been smashing it on the festival circuit. That is out now, and that will be the, the podcast itself will be out on Friday. And then on Tuesday, uh, myself and Dom sat down with the Oppenheimer ladies uh, Jennifer Lame, the editor, mm. Ellen Moronjnik, the costume designer, and Jamie Lee McIntosh and Louisa Abel, who are both hair and makeup and prosthetics on Oppenheimer. And they sit down and talk about how they made that film. It's epic. That's next Tuesday for you. So we've got amazing things coming up as well as Society of the Snow, J.A. Boyana, who made the film Impossible and The Orphanage. And also we've got Grant Hesloff, the producer of George Clooney's Boys in the Boat. So many amazing episodes coming up for you. So stick with us um, if you do like this podcast. Such great hosts as well. Tell your friends. Such great, great, well, one of you. (laughs) One of us, and that's you. Uh, So enough of that. Have an amazing... 2024 listen it's going to be great for you it really is keep listening keep Mm. believing keep going to events keep working hard keep getting your scripts in the best shape they can be and fight and it will happen for you I hope should do Mm. Uh, it's the only way you can do it otherwise no one's knocking on the door for you if you don't put yourself out there it won't happen and if you haven't listened to our Christmas uh, special uh, and quiz talking about filmmaking and we do a quiz and the top 10 uh, filmmaking podcasts of the year. Dom Lenoir might have won the quiz. Um, he hasn't mentioned well, it. Technically, I, 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 co-won, I co-won the other the other competition as well, which was which is comforting. Cause I think it's been two two years since I was in the, the top episode, which was, was deeply distressing. Right? Mm. I couldn't make certain episodes last, last year. It was uh, Christy Wilson-Cairns that uh, gave me my first championship medal in... Um, in hosting, in hosting, um, in top ten hosting, yeah, and being number one hoster. Yeah, no, no, I'm in the top, top, top two, and quite a few in the top ten. So yeah, I'm, I'm back on, back on, back form. on form because uh, it's definitely worth listening to for Dom's reaction 
to when he might or might not have won the quiz. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this this episode is, is genuinely one of my... This one and uh, Nadine Crocker um, for the Desperation Road. Um, definitely like two of my sort of favourite, you know, drama, getting getting real sort of type conversations. Uh, I think they're really good, good in-depth chats. I'm quite proud of these two. You should be. This is excellent. Sit back, relax, our lovely listeners, and enjoy Dumbledore's chat with director James Horse talking about One Life, which is out now in cinemas, and also lovely little chat on Slow Horses as well. Have fun. Happy New Year. 30 seconds to on air. Okay, and you are just here. Good night. Sit farther back. An extraordinary story about a young man who many years ago visited Prague. What he found there were thousands of refugees at the mercy of Hitler's imminent invasion. Do you ever think about the children and what happened to them? I bet you got some stories. That's really not about me. We are working to evacuate these children by train to safety in Britain. Why are you doing this, Mr. Winton? Because I may be able to do something about it. I must. Go. Now. Nikki, you must know we cannot save them all. You have to forgive yourself that. Starting, sir. I have to finish it. We cannot let these people down. It is incredible what you achieved. We're doing as much as we can. You have a lot of faith in ordinary people. Because I'm an ordinary person. Save one life, save the world. But forgive me, but how many children are we speaking about? anyone in the audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton. James, welcome. Welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, though. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm Dom. I had the absolute pleasure of watching your, your film yesterday. Just incredibly powerful film. I, I kind of saw it like a... Almost like a sort of a, a softer, equally meaningful sort of twin to Schindler's List, in that it, but it has this real, it has this real charmingness to it, which I, which I think is is refreshing because there's some there's some very heavy subject matter involved in it, um, and it does something different that I, I feel like I, I hadn't seen with that story. So, um, huge congratulations on the film. It's like it's thank a brilliant you, drama. Thank you very much. Thank you. How's uh, how's it been? I mean, how are you feeling right now? Um. It's an enormous place for a filmmaker to to be having a movie coming out, mm. and obviously I've I've come from TV for a lot of this. Yes, um, where you might have a cast and crew screening, you might have a screening, but it's a very different thing to go on the festival circuit and be showing what has been a very involved year of your life to the public, to mm. the press, and inviting people to respond to it. And I use that word rather than judge, but yeah, you tell a film as honest and powerful as this you feel a responsibility to the truth yeah and to the people whose story you're telling some of whom of course are sitting in those auditoriums with you mm. um so it's been an incredibly emotional last few months yeah really. i can imagine yeah. uh, and the moment we opened it at toronto at the festival um 2250 people in the auditorium and probably most of them crying <laughs> yeah utterly and then there's yeah. a standing ovation I'm on my own because there are no actors, which is, um, yeah. you know, far from perfect. Yes, that's true. Um, and then we're able to invite the individual. I don't know if you know this, that we then, I was went up on stage again at the end and said, um, I believe there's a Jane Litvak in the audience. Oh, which she so you deserved. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, she left Prague 84 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, one of... The original Kinder. That, and must, that, have, that must have been a really emotional moment as well. Hugely emotional. We did a similar thing in London, but with 12 of them. Mm. Um, and the thing is, when you read that caption that says, based on a true story, nothing really drives it home, like then finding 
the subject of that story in the room with mm. you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just. I mean, I, I love I love this kind of film. Like, I, I love true stories, um, but more more than that, I love meaningful drama. Mm. Um, and this is meaningful drama. And and it, you know, I do like the fact that it has some warmth to it as well, because you know, war is such a horrible. Um, horrendous place and there's so much tragedy but actually you know people aren't operating in a sort of a vacuum of coldness there is good people that's effectively what this is it's it's a story about good people doing good things and 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 doing good things because it's the right thing to do yeah and i think that's really quite important as well it's not Mm. to post on insta yeah um and in fact quite the opposite he's hiding that thing he's got no desire he's not he's He's not talking about it beyond what he thinks is useful for the furthering of the good. Mm. Yeah, for the power it's, all, it's good. about the story and their stories, yeah. and it's not really about him, which is... Yes, and keep saying it's not about me. He, he says mm. it in as many words. He said it in life many times. Mm. And in fact, when he a uh, film was first proposed to Nikki, he said, um, uh, no, anybody who knows my story knows it now. There's no, nothing else to tell. And it was only through his daughter, Barbara, and his biographer that um, the story eventually got made because mm. they realized his modesty was... Maybe too modest. Yeah, and yeah. Keep, keeping it from the world. So, so let's talk about how this, how this came to you in its first iteration or how you heard about it and how we got from this wonderful idea into a script and a film. Well, um, Cecil Films had mm. the script already largely developed they first came across the story in 2009 2010 in fact when emile and ian the two founders of cecil films were making the king's speech they actually left the set of the king's speech to go and meet nicky wenton for the first time oh wow um so this is a this is a long time in the making a long time in the making finding the moment finding the right script and then um whatever it was two years ago i think it's only two years ago um I'd just been working with Cecil Films on the first season of Slow Horses. Yes, which we'll come back to a little bit later. Yeah. And um, uh, I'd really enjoyed working with them. They were kind enough to want to work with me again. And so I then got an email saying, I want you to read the script and look at this clip. And it was the same YouTube clip that we've been talking about. Obviously, you've done all kind of manner of different films, but Slow Horses and... <laughs> I know, <laughs> They're I know, quite, I know. quite different. They're the totally spectrum. different. I think the thing is, because they knew I'd grown up at the BBC doing documentaries... Right, so they understood that background. And yeah. I'd done uh, a lot of fact-based TV movies like mm. Enid, like The Challenger Disaster, like The Chatterley yeah. Affair. I always remember hearing about that as a, as a kid and it just resonating that Challenger story. So yeah, it's a, yeah. And it's, it's a tragic film. story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, I was in the right place. And obviously The Slow Horses, hugely different genre. As a result, I keep getting offered spy thrillers, right? Um, which perhaps is a more obvious connection. Mm. But it's also about performance and yeah. can you handle the top, top actors? Yeah. And, um can you bring a tone? Because mm. one of the challenges of Slow Horses was getting the tone right. Yeah, because it is a very unique tone. Yeah, yeah, and there is, but there is a tonal question on this as well. Mm. Um, it could have been completely saccharine. Yes, it could have been way too hard edged. Yeah, it is in many ways a very British story mm. with respect to the Czech community, for whom it is also a Czech story. Mm. But. Um, so finding the right tone and what I really wanted it to be was to feel restrained. Mm. And that was one of our key words was restraint in the performance, in the palette, in the use of the camera so that it didn't indulge or turn into a kind of heritage fest mm. of the period. I feel like that restraint is is such an overlooked concept in, in making good films. And I'm not talking about sort of reasonable dramas or okay dramas. It's like exceptional dramas that there has to be restraint. There has to be the, the very fine balancing of the, the moments that warm your heart and the moments that, um, you know, chill your soul. And, and it is about finding that, that kind of that middle ground where you're, you're in the experience, but it's not too sweet and it's not too sour. And that's, that really comes down to, I mean, it's then about the director communicating that to everybody mm. because it's, it's about every department understanding what that is. Mm. Um, it's about making sure that dirt feels dirty. It makes, you know, when you go to the refugee camps, no kids bowling a hoop or chasing chickens. It's, yeah. you know, it's how you deal with period. Um, uh, it's, it's, you have to chase chickens. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's how not to sentimentalize things. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
one or two reviews have been a bit harsh and said that we've been a bit um, familiar in the way we've dealt with the Second World War, um, mm. that they wished we'd come at it or I'd come at it differently. You know, I think that's tough. Mm. So uh, there was an example here. There's the moment where um, Helena, Bonham Carter, Helena, Helena Bonham Carter's character gets to know that war is declared. Mm. So they're at home. Um, and Johnny Flynn's character, younger Nicky, is at the office. Mm. Now, uh, what was written on the script originally was they turn on the radio. Yeah. Um, and there's the broadcast. Now, we've all seen that. Yeah. But you need that. So what I did was think, well, what would happen now? So the first thing that would happen, there'd be a news alert. You'd get a ping. Yeah. Then somebody would probably call you. Then probably somebody in the street or the office or the bar or wherever you are would go, have you seen this? Mm. So what I tried to do was the phone rings. Yeah. Somebody says, turn on the radio. They turn on the radio. Then the bells are ringing. Yeah, the bells, that was, that was brilliant. Yeah, I remember that moment. Yeah. Because it, it, it's, it's just when it's put in the right context, you immediately know with the pre-build up that yeah. you've already sort of laid the seeds of yes. with, with the story of, of the fact we are very close to war. And and then the bell actually almost is, is a great metaphor for alarm bells ringing for this whole operation that he's putting together. So it's a great And apparently great it did moment. happen. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the office, the stockbrokers, of course, suddenly the phones are ringing and the mm. ticker tape's going and he's yeah. out of the office. So I thought that was actually quite an interesting way to do things. I agree, yeah. Um, but of course, you know, in those days... The wireless was everything for getting your news. Yeah, I, sp- I suppose it's those. It's finding that th- it's almost like working with actors, isn't it? You're you're not just sort of saying here's here's my idea, here's your idea A A to B. You're sort of finding that middle, you know, curveball in the middle yes. that isn't as direct, and it often has more power that way. Yeah, uh, and yeah. it's those metaphors that sort of make a great film. I think. I think that's it's it's absolutely right. And we were talking about you know the moments like. Um, uh, Nikki's sense of powerlessness when he runs out of chocolate when he first meets the yeah, kids. That's great. And he's got just that little bit and he says, I'm sorry, I haven't got always oh, I have got something and suddenly there's this upbeat moment of I can give the kids what they want and then there's another particular child who he has no chocolate left to give. Yeah. And that as a metaphor for the rest of the film and the fact that he goes as far as he can and then the pain he feels when he runs out. Um, is tremendously powerful. Was that girl with the? I mean, assuming people have watched yeah. the film or should watch the film before yeah. listening to this, the the girl who has the the adopted baby. I mean, yeah. that's that's a powerful metaphor, yes. isn't it? In, in yes. itself, just the idea of a twelve year old girl who's not even finished growing up, yes. who's looked after a baby that's been widowed. Yes, uh, I mean that's that's just human kindness sort of condensed and the vulnerability that comes in that image and and a lot of that was inspired by images and facts that we found um uh but that character grew because none of those kids were had acted before oh really Um, wow so most of them were found from within very appropriate communities so a lot 80 percent or so of the kids that nikki saved were jewish 20 percent weren't so we found amongst the jewish community a, a lot of children um, and then had some brilliant help in the Czech Republic mm. from acting coaches who would take each of them into their little groups and talk to them about what their backstories were so that um, they all knew that they'd already lost a parent or they'd come from a posh place in town and were now living in the refugee camp, which really helped mm. uh, give them depth. So, and Lenka is a very good example of that. Yeah. So, so I mean, how how do you... <laughs> How do you work? Because it's obviously one of the, the sort of the cliches of film. It's hard to work with animals and, and children. What What is the process? Is it using the imagination, but then not, I suppose putting in safeguards? So we're just doing a, a pretend thing and then making sure that those kind of imaginative safeguards are in place as well if they're yes. going somewhere quite dark. It's imagination is the first thing. So when you bring yeah. in the kids and you're auditioning them, can they put themselves in that imaginary place? And not be self-conscious. Yes. And you will very quickly filter out those kids who think it's funny and whose bodies are still stiff and go halfway there. Yeah. And the kids who are absolutely in the moment. Mm. And I think particularly of one of the boys, one of the Sloneck brothers, who'd never done anything before and he absolutely could do it. Mm. Um, Then you give them more to imagine. And obviously you're right, there had to be safeguarding. There's very practical safeguarding about their hours and where they are Mm. on set and who's looking after them. And then there was also quite a lot of psychological and teacher support. That's it. Should they be upset by the experience that they were replicating and and Mm. 
and acting out, including just driving away from your dad for the last time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, big big things for a, yeah. for a child to sort of get to grips with. But they they yeah. did they all did such a fantastic job. Like they mm. they really have some weight and gravitas. Uh, and I, I did I did really like the the mixture of um, Czechoslovakia sort of casting um, and and the British. It it, mm. it seamlessly blends together. Um, and you obviously you've, you've covered what you need to cover from the British story and you've got the cast which sells the movie but then you've also you really have that authenticity um, yeah. for their stories which I think was very important I think it was tremendously important and you know p- producers can get nervous when you say well Greta was Scandi so I want to cast Scandi and but you immediately avoid any crappy accents yeah. because the people <laughs> are what they're meant to be yeah and if they're speaking English you hear it but it felt right that we should struggle through German and Czech as well as French and hear these mm. languages being broken and, and, and to have, to have an interpreter, um, to have Hannah, Hannah in her Czech working alongside the younger Nikki as that, that main Czech refugee. Mm. Um, and obviously you get different quality of faces and looks. You do, and yeah. And, and there is an immediate, you just immediately get transported to that area yes. of, of Europe. Uh, and there is a, a realism that doesn't feel contrived. And it, and it actually takes away from the, the Hollywoodness of it for, from a, you know, a brief moment where you need it to. And it throws you just into you know, that exact time period, which I think mm. is, is mm. absolutely Good. brilliant. I'm really glad that worked. So uh, talking about that, um, that little girl. So, I mean, for anyone that hasn't watched the movie, it's, it's, a, it's a girl and we don't necessarily find out what, what happens to her. And I, I thought it was an interesting choice as a, as a filmmaker that you didn't explain that. And I think that kind of is a, a metaphor for everyone that he wasn't able to save. And it isn't even about whether they're dead or, or alive. It's the fact that he doesn't know. Um, was that character always decided uh, in, in the, no. sort of the, the writing? No, it emerged more. Um, and in fact... Uh, we worked out during pre-production, we realized quite late in the scripting process that Lenka was an unanswered question. And we partly answered her question halfway through the film when you see her standing there and the boys are driven away. Yeah. And we realized that that still wasn't enough. And we also wanted to help um, narrate Nikki's journey to that point of grief so that quite early on, there's a scene with Helena, with his mother, Babby, where she says... And it's terribly important to the film. Nikki, you can't save them all. You must know that. Mm. And the person he's just discovered hasn't been saved is Lenka and the baby. Yeah, which he'd obviously, he'd also formed quite a personal connection with. Yes. That might even be, that might, might be the real tragedy of this is the fact that the, the person that maybe influenced this whole decision or the one that touched him the most is the one that he didn't actually manage to yes. find yes. out what happened In to. many ways. And that, and that haunting I could have done more. I should have moved faster. If I at that point, I think that sort of man and that man that Nicky was just examines everything you did and didn't do. Mm. If I'd stayed an hour longer at the home office, would I have seen that guy? Mm. If I'd put her up the list, if I knocked on Mrs. Bloggs down, would she have given her a home? Mm. What you could have done, and that must be. I mean, we all have regrets about life, yeah, but it tends to be about. I don't know, not managing to work hard enough for an exam at school or something that in the end probably doesn't massively matter. Yeah. He lived with those regrets to a different level. Mm. And that's part of the film's story and part of its healing at the very end. Mm. I mean, another interesting um, set of characters that I I feel like it, it... it added an extra set of weight to the, the story, and, it, and it, it also added to the heartbreak of it was the the British consul and the the redheaded um, Czechoslovakia yes. um, actor. Yes, yeah. Hannah. Hannah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and that, that story between the two of them was was really it, it wasn't forced in. It wasn't sort of made into the B story. No. Um, but in itself, it I think that made it more powerful because it, it was just one of many really you know, likable, warm people yes. that, that were the tragedy of war. Yes. Um, and and I, I think that was a, a really good conscious choice to, to not make that a sort of a, um, a really in the forefront of the story, but, but it still carries a lot of weight. Yeah, I think so. And it humanized her. I was so thrilled with casting um, Hannah. She Juli- was brilliant, yeah. Juli- Juliana, Juliana. Um, Juliana, yeah. And um, uh, she just brought, she's just so lovable. Mm. And then you get the, braveness of her and then the moment where she says goodbye to Romola Garay's character yeah. 
um, is incredibly powerful. It is, yeah. Um, and I, I had very early on an image of her being dragged off the platform at the end and how I wanted that to be as Trevor shouts after her. Mm. Um, uh, I think that really lands. You it know? does, yeah. 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 Got the kids crying on the day as well. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I mean that—that's it. You need you need people to to really root for, uh, and I think you do root for for everyone in this uh, in this film. Good. So um, going back to the the script, there was a sorry, yeah, please. There was a a script that Seesaw had been developing, mm-hmm. uh, sent your way. Mm-hmm. What was the next process? Did you have to? pitch i'm guessing you were familiar with, with them enough to not really have to pitch i it didn't so really much. have to pitch no, no um, we did have a meeting to discuss what the approach was because it's only wise to make sure we all wanted to make the same movie yeah and that was with the other producers with joanne laurie and guy healy as well mm. um and then the next thing was to see could i secure the cast because well, let's let's just let's just cover that before we go to the cast yeah what was that what was that in, initial vision what was their their take based on the script versus what you were putting forward well they would never, and not in my experience, but they would never say, well, this is the film as we see it. I go in and say, this is the film as I see it. Okay. And talk about any references I might have or mm. just an overall tone and feeling. And you describe that because if you can communicate it and they like it, you're going to be able to communicate it to all the other key departments. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and they liked that. And I talked, uh, obviously, there was the, the funny connection of that's life. I also talked about documentaries I'd made and places I'd been that helped me feel that world of what i thought prague should be like Mm. um uh and so yes they bought into that broad description of what i wanted to do then i have to go and see that i can cast the film Mm. and that basically means can you persuade the actors to come on board yeah which is never a given you know and um but you've got a seesaw attached uh, so so obviously that's big that's a good help helpful Um, thing but then and anthony is he knows about the project um how how did he find out about it oh because seesaw sent it to him so that that was already yeah yeah that he was already but it's a different thing for me to go and persuade him that he's willing to do the project with this director i see that's another part of the process yeah um and that's what producers and agents talk about with yeah but can he cast the film Mm. they mean can he attract the cast and sign them onto the project Mm. um so that was a very long um breakfast i remember feeling extremely nervous the night before i bet yeah i was meeting sir anthony which is of course a privilege and of course he's a charming easy man to sit with yeah does it, is it, I'm guessing he's he's as warm and, and forthcoming as as yes. in as in the films. Uh, utterly, yeah. yeah, utterly, and just loves the business. He yeah. loves the process of storytelling and filmmaking, mm. um, which from the first meeting to wrap makes it so much more fulfilling and honestly um, successful because you get the love and the passion through it all. Was he was he always the first choice? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine anyone else doing it because, no. again, he, 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 he's got that warmth, he's got that charm, but he's also got that complexity and, and sadness um, that, that is very much needed for, for this film. Yes, it, and you're, you're putting your finger on all those things. There is that warmth and that sparkle in his eyes that mm. just tells you that's Nicky doing his charm and his demanding. Yeah. Um, but he can, be, he can communicate so much by his quiet stillness mm. and you can feel the grief and you can feel the loss. And we've seen that in Remains of the Day, and we've seen that. I keep talking about this film called Coming Home that he did um, for BBC Two as mm. a uh, Welsh dairy farmer. Okay, yeah. Um, I was always really impressed by his work on Westworld as well, because he yeah, he, just, he, he, can, do, he can create so much mystery yeah. as yeah. well, which is really important. There's so much presence mm. there. Um, so no, that was that was. So, so what, what was what was your process of persuading him, so to speak, in that? Well, in that honestly, thing? it's you go with a passion for the film. Mm-hmm. You go with your keywords, and my word was restraint and yep. humble, um, and uh, you talk about individual scenes, and you just make sure that you're you've got a language, and honestly, that the two of you are going to work on set. You're going to. You're going to feel an empathy that you're going to want to achieve the same, um, that he's going to react to your notes uh, in the way you want him to, and that he's willing to take notes from this little upstart. Yeah. Um, so it is just, I mean, we just had a very long breakfast, and by the end of it, we decided we could be mates. That's brilliant. I, sp- I suppose it's it's about having that rapport, and it's also showing that you're not 
an ego. You're not there to just you know yeah. make light of. Because I mean, I suppose that's that's the real fear with with a portrayal like this as an actor. Um, if you're going to jump on board with something that's such a, a heavy subject matter, is that the the director will just take it for a ride and throw it into a stylistic puddle, and well, then well, precisely, precisely. So you've got to be reassured that you're not doing that. And again, when I think of you know, some brilliant films, including Zone of Interest, that are much more oh, yeah, yeah. stylishly also told in a yeah. not totally dissimilar subject matter. Um, but that wasn't what this film needed to be. This film needs to be accessible in perhaps a broader way, mm. um, emotionally, visually, I felt. Mm. Um, uh, so it wasn't the moment for me to do my Black Mirror styling all over the place. No. You, you needed to be right there with your characters. Yeah. How, how important is it for you, for an audience to feel? Because I mean, that, that, that for me is the, it's the primary goal. It's everything. Yeah. And that's why cinema has a chance of coming back. Mm. You know, people have been back to Oppenheimer to enjoy the scale. One reason to go to yeah. cinema. They've been back for Barbie to laugh. Another reason. Mm. Scream and cry are the other options, really. So yeah. that's why horror genre works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess chick flicks. But this is another way to go and have a serious drama with a message, with amazing performances. Mm. Um, and, I, and then feel. Mm. Because if you don't feel, you don't care. And if you don't care, then why turn up? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always one of my, my sort of, not pet peeves, but one of the most... Um, important and things i can be stubborn on is is casting because i think if you don't if you have an actor that doesn't actually make you feel he's he's communicating or she's communicating but there's no internal reaction to that then the message of the story is is on something like this for instance it's so important that you actually do internalize that Mm. um, just as they are Mm. so it's a kind of a symbiosis it is and that's why a huge important part of the performance is listening yeah um and it's a note that I don't need to give to actors like most of those I've just worked with, but I do give to actors, is hear what they're saying. Mm. I need to see what's going on in the eyes in the moment that you're receiving information, yeah. not just giving it. Yeah, of course, because that's, that's when they get affected by it, and yeah. that's when the audience gets affected yeah. by it. Yeah. So um, how did the rest of the casting go? I'm guessing after Anthony, people were sort of jumping in left, right, right, and center. Well, or it's all, yeah, yeah, utterly. Yeah. It's always key. And yeah. if there's a chance to work with Tony, they're going to turn up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a big thing to ask Johnny to come and play the mm-hmm. younger him. Uh, but Johnny is himself such a, a humble, generous actor yeah. that he's going. He's, it's, such an, it's such an obvious choice seeing him in it. Yeah. But I, I never would have considered him no. to play a young Anthony. And that's partly because we think of Johnny with curly fair hair, um, bearded um, musician, mm. as he is most of the time. Yeah. To have him as this, this very manicured, dark-haired, um, middle-class stockbroker is, is a different place to be. Mm. Um, I think what, we've did, what we did with him in the look really helped. He's also a similar build to Tony, mm. um, but he's got that same soft generosity that really helps. Mm. Um, Helena, I'd worked with before. Yes, Helena yep. has a lot the, of. Uh, yeah, you're, you're lost. That's the one. Yeah, mentioned that earlier. Yeah, yep. um, she has a lot of family history that overlaps with Nikki's history, so she was already engaged in the subject matter. Mm. Um, and you deploy Babette into the film, the, the character she plays, and suddenly you know, the next level, the next strand of story, the touch paper is lit, and you're off with a different pace and a different humour. Mm. Um, when I was casting people like Greta and Betty Maxwell, who were respectively Scandinavian and French, I wanted that nationality. And I mean, to get Lena Olin, who comes from great films like The Unbearable Lightness of Being and, and Marta Keller, who has little movies like Marathon Man on her filmography, um, you know, that tells you both the power of the story and of Tony to attract cast. Mm. So after the casts are in place, um, I mean, is there finance in place through Seesaw, or are you sort of going out simultaneously? I'm guessing it most of the cast, uh, most of the financing happens after you've got Anthony attached. Most of the finance confirms then. Real, but, oh, okay, but you've already got. But a lot of it, yeah. So a lot of it was in place. 
um, okay. on the basis of the story. Yeah. And then, but then, you know, there's another part of the process, which is, okay, we also have a script and the bloody director's been over it and has got a bit of ambition here and there and wants to lift things up. Can we still afford it? How do we do this? Yeah. 33 days is part of the answer. Um, and that was painful. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, yeah, it's... Um, it's always it's always difficult, isn't it? The the financing of of any movie. Um, was it? Was there any moment? I mean, it, it, the thing that strikes me as confusing with this is that it's taken so long to get it made. It seems like such an obvious film that would, you know, it's such a brilliant story. People have seen the the chat show host moment. Um, why, why did it take so long to get it made? I imagine that for a long time during his lifetime, Nicky said, "I don't want it made." I see. Yeah. Um, and I don't think anybody was going to do it without him. Well, yeah, it makes sense. Um, I know that two other filmmakers, to my knowledge, have tried to make a version of the film. Uh, one of them, to my surprise, said, um, well, you knew you got a great ending, but I didn't know what the other 75 minutes of the film was. Mm. Well, I think we've answered that. Um, uh, so it's, you know, these things, there is an alchemy involved. There's a, there's a serendipity of timing. Yeah. Um, I wish the world did not so need an example like this right now. Mm. It, it didn't when we started making it, but yeah. it does now. Um, and uh, I, I think then I'm sure that Seesaw had the rights for quite a while and they need to find the right script. Yeah. Get to the actor. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. So what was what were some of the changes you made on a script basis um after you were sort of fully signed on as a director um were, were there any in, in terms of like is the start and the end point of and the, the structure the same um of the script yeah the start and the end point were the, are the same okay yeah. um but just to answer your script question first really that i wanted more sense of thriller in the 1930s it felt a, for my taste a little bit procedural mm. so things like the missing visas, which is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, the passports on the train, um, those beats were added in a bit later. Mm. Um, I wanted to really sharpen uh, the story of older Nicky's grief um, and struggle with his guilt mm. um, more than more than it was. I mean, the, Lucinda and Nick had done a fantastic job. There was masses there, but you come in with a perhaps a fresher set of eyes and you see things you want to amp up. Mm. The interesting thing was that the, the original script started in a different place it, with scenes that are on the cutting room floor. Okay. And more of older Nicky. Mm. And then it went into the 1930s and told the entire 1930s in linear fashion. Yeah. No intercutting. Mm. And then came to the 1980s in one chunk. In the edit, we found this weave through. Which which obviously, I, I suppose, maybe that's going back to your TV backbone, but by cutting away from something and then leaving them wanting more, you're, you're sort of exponentially expanding the suspense of wanting to know on, on both both sides at once. I mean, it, it felt like that in, in terms of as, as an, an audience, like... The, the sparingness of, of, of Anthony's scenes, but they were all incredibly well thought out. Yeah, and I, I think it's how one part of a person's life can inform the other. Mm. Yes, yes. That's um, so you meet the grief and then you explain it, or you yeah. meet an action and then yeah. you see what the result is. Yeah. Um, and also it creates mystery. What's in the briefcase? What's in the scrapbook? Yeah. You don't know. You withhold, you withhold. Mm. Um, 
we know he saved kids. Anybody turning up to the film is going to know he saved kids. So what's his problem with the trains? Mm. It's the last train. Withhold that story. Keep that That's back. It. Yeah. Most of that was shaped through the edit. And I suppose the other thing as well is if you played out the 1930s storyline in chronology, you're going to have to do a bunch of time jumps. Yes. And you're actually repeating the same kinds of things happening so yes. in, in a way again you're keeping the the story fresh so, yes. so it and, certainly and works. moving on both sides of it uh, simultaneously yeah. yeah so um talking about some of the other elements of, of the the filmmaking process um cinematography the set design how how do, are these regular collaborators of yours um they're not actually and for various reasons um we needed to find new collaborators um not that i don't love the people i've worked with in the past but couldn't work on this movie for reasons of availability largely mm. um so zach nicholson um who had worked with danny cohen several times and worked with seesaw before mm-hmm. um and was passionate about it and could see i remember taking him on the day we'd found the house to be in older nicky's house um and all we really knew at that point is we had that house and anthony hopkins and his eyes just lit up because you could immediately see putting that man in those spaces yeah. and how it was going to come alive. Yeah. And that sort of restraint performance, him stuck in that world of grief. Yeah. You could feel that. Um, and that was found by Christina Moore, our production designer. Mm-hmm. It, it's a big ask. We needed a house of that period mm-hmm. within easy driving distance of central London with a swimming pool, if possible. Yeah. And the first morning she Googled, she found that house was for sale. <clears throat> and we managed to get use of it halfway through its exchange and completion. Wow. The owner of that house Must be happy was, her, was herself um, the daughter of um, kinder transport survivors. Oh, wow. So that, that's a, what, a, what an amazing reward as a, yeah. as a, as a homeowner as well yes. to, yeah. to come across that. So um, – and – she and I both talked about the world we wanted to evoke, and it was tough. She did an amazing job on the budget, too. Um, and the, there are compromises. You know, we struggled with the trains. The trains that arrive in Liverpool Street are not the right trains. And there will be letters, I'm quite sure. Yeah. But So I spent a lot of time looking towards the edge of the platform and not the train. Mm. Liverpool Street um, was unable, I say this quite uh, frustratedly mm. to give us permission to film there in spite of the fact that they embraced their heritage as the, as the place that the kinder transports arrived mm. um, it was something to do with permissions to do with switching off smoke detectors to allow steam yeah. trains in yeah. bureaucracy really yeah. months that was going to take so yeah. we had to film that in the Czech Republic right yeah I mean, I mean, things like that. To to me, I'm I'm always very much on the the case of as long as it has the the flavour of and it's not a sort of a flamboyant decision it doesn't matter i mean it, maybe it matters if it's certain trains uh, and you're you're focusing on the people in the carriages and it's mm. it's that story but this isn't this isn't i mean it's it's the it's more about the journey than the the train um, yes and i feel yeah, like the of course you're right yeah um but it, it's i do feel that the more you can get right of course of course. The more the audience is going to believe and trust yes, true. everything else you're telling. But, but sometimes you have to make those yeah. those compromises. Yeah. I mean, like the, the locations in the, the Czech Republic or yeah. whether they were shot there or not, but they felt incredibly yes. real and that kind of struggling industrial warehouse yes. Yes. poverty. Like, yes. you know, it, it captures that so incredibly well. Mm. Um, and that's based on very exact references yeah. and photos from the time of where yeah. they were. They weren't just in muddy fields. And no. um, honestly, that, that was also a practical decision. We couldn't afford to create a refugee camp in a muddy field, no. nor risk the weather yeah. and how slow it is to film in that environment. But they also put people up in ruined factories and castles, actually. Yeah. We thought the castle route was going to feel too romantic and a bit distracting. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, so hence that. Yeah. that texture and that that's it's a nice moment actually because it it then feels like it does almost lean into a documentary moment for a, for a little while as, yeah. as you you really just you're not watching a film you're just seeing a refugee camp yes. in that that time which yeah. you know I, I think it that's it it's about choosing those moments when you're pinpoint accuracy and yeah. and letting those sort of speak for themselves yeah um so in terms of how you chose to shoot it um you know lensing yes well i mean again i had to decide those two worlds as well that was part of it Mm. um so we uh we we liked the idea of a largely static camera Mm. holding frames 
Um, it made great use of that house location. It also showed um, Nicky trapped in his world, mm-hmm. not moving very far. Um, quite often the period piece is treated with that sort of very controlled camera. We chose instead to go handheld because that was the mission. It's sort of counterintuitive to go handheld and a bit free when you're in a period movie full of mm. frocks and old, yeah. gorgeous old trains. Um, uh, and that felt right for the mission and then how the two intercut. The palette of the newer period was quite um, uh, quite grey and beige, mm. much more vibrant in that period until you get Nikki entering into the That's Life studio. Yes. And then the camera suddenly gets more life, goes on his shoulder, travels with him yes. in a way it hasn't through the whole 1980s. Mm. That was the thinking. Yeah. And has the has the film essentially stayed similar to how you shot it? Was, was there many pickups that were needed or bits that didn't work? We or? did two days of additional photography, but it was largely new scenes. Okay. So there were additional scenes between Helena and, and Johnny. Right. Yeah. Around the table. There were scenes, for instance, we felt that we had not adequately explained what happened to Lenka, the girl with the baby. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, we wanted a little bit more pointedness on how Nikki was hurting and feeling in the 30s that would help bed in what happens in the 80s. Mm. Um, we, uh, what else did we shoot? Oh, quite a lot of documentary documents just to tell the story of the process of the kids. Mm. Um, so not much. I not mean, much. and again, yeah. we, that was done on in a car park in Teddington right? because uh, at the back of the studios because we couldn't afford to go back to Prague. And just finally, on the, on the music side of things, yes. um, do you work with a temp track? Did you have a composer on board early? Um, we did work with temp tracks. We knew who the composers might be, so we used music from those candidate composers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I then talked, met with three and Volker Bertelmann, who'd recently done All Quiet on the Western Front, yep. um, came back with this pitch and saying, I think your film is so humble. Mm. I want to make a humble score. And that was just, okay, well, we know who this is then. Yeah, that's what you um, mean, yeah. And Al- Along sharing the same so vision. Well. Yeah. And he had, exactly, he shared the same vision. Mm. And the way he treats classical instrumentation is just to give it that twist and that edge that d- was going to help us not make the score too sweet and suddenly pour syrup all over the drama we'd carefully restrained. Brilliant. Um, just jumping back a little bit, I'd like to talk about um, Slow Horses. Yeah. Um, so I've watched the first two seasons. I haven't seen the third one, but yeah. I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, completely different tone. Um, and and it's, it's fascinating that you've, you've sort of come from the TV world. And that is a very much uh, a stylistically built, very unique um, tonal mm. sort of exercise. So, h- how did you obviously done Black Mirror before, and you'd you'd exercise some of those muscles in terms of creating very distinct tones mm-hmm. in in new sort of IP. Talk about uh, can we talk about how you came on to uh, Slow Horses? Oh, that was definitely a show I pitched for. I mean, you had to come up with references and and color palettes and and like looks. pitch decks sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay and um quite a complicated pitch deck and there were two stages to it because then once having got the gig um i worked with the dp and the designer to do a really elaborate pitch deck to the network to the platform to apple say okay Okay. this is now what we're making okay um and i'm thrilled to say that that is very very much what we then shot right um so um so so how how did how did it start how did uh i i felt some of those films that we know and love from the 70s and 80s, some of those paranoid conspiracy thrillers, mm. um, I talked about the lives of others and how that deals so well with character. I talked about films like Syriana that gave um, espionage a sort of sexy verite. Mm. So I needed that. I also really pitched London, London as a character, but not London with Buckingham Palace in the background of every shot. If you see St. Paul's as you do, it's out of the back of Lamb's smelly car disappearing yeah. <laughs> into the distance. Um, it is a completely different London to what we've seen. Which is the London that I go home through. Yeah. Under girders and, and uh, so th- that was really key. I also talked about some of the central casting, not of the core slow horses, but for me, in every cast sheet, there's always a piece or a little group of casting that tips the tone. Mm. And on this occasion, it was the kidnappers. Right. So if we'd got them to arch, 
the whole mission would have felt silly. If you get them too natural and aggressive, this is casting and performance, it would have been a very sinister piece of right-wing darkness. Yes. Finding a place where you can still play their humor and take the piss out of their politics, yeah. but keep it real, is quite hard. And that it's began very, very with the tricky. casting. It's a yeah. very, very tricky yeah. um, process. So was it Seesaw came to you? Yes. You didn't have a relationship with them or you did at that point? I, I knew a couple of the execs there, Jamie Lawrenson and Ian Canning. And they had an idea of the... The show was pretty much um, written for the first two or three episodes. Yep. Will Smith, the writer, was there. Yep. Um, they needed a director. And also something that at first I balked at mm. was they wanted one director to do all six episodes, which is a big ask on a show of that size, just in terms of pure stamina, honestly. Yeah. Um, but it was something that Gary... Gary Oldman particularly wanted. Mm. He wanted the unique, central, creative relationship with a single director as he was used to having in cinema. Because, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It, it does some of these... I mean, some of my favorite um, streamer works are the short, limited series mm. where they do feel like it's that space of the kind of mid-budget, prestige, indie Hollywood sort of storylines that you would have had in, in the older times mm. that are now being given that IP range to go into the TV and the streaming yes. world. Uh, and I think it, it's great that this does have that, that feel. Um, yeah. So, so how, how did you, um, Gary Oldman, his attachment to the, the project, was that again through Seesaw? Yes. So he was already there. Okay. Um, yeah. Jack Loudon was already there. Yeah. Um, to be confirmed, I have to say. But then, so I met mm. with both of them. Um, and then we started building the cast from there. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of casting to build up that central unit mm -hmm. to um, persuade Kristen to come and head up MI5. Yeah. <clears throat> or number two at MI5. Yeah. Um, and to bring in that motley gathering of the rest of the slow horses. Mm. Was, was it was it a difficult thing to get off off the ground? Because I mean, I mean, now it's it's like a it's it's a pretty popular show, yeah, uh, and it seems like it's been you know a great success, yeah. But I can imagine. I mean, when I first heard about it, I was like, okay, this isn't this isn't this is unusual. This is this is a different take. Uh, I imagine there there must have been some nerves, um, maybe from Apple, like yeah. sort of getting getting yes. interested in that in in the first place. Yeah. So look, um, uh, Le Carre. It's great British genre. Hmm. Um, we know what we do with spy movies. And if we can get the tone of the comedy right, y you've got something quirky. I think the, um, there were nerves among some execs about was it going to be too quirky a British show to travel? Mm. I think what it's demonstrated is the characters are so strong from Mick Heron's books in the first place. Yeah. And such a brilliant idea that there is a place where fuck-ups go yeah. after they're thrown out of MI5. Yeah. Um, that the concept, the characters carry you through. Mm. And fortunately, we've managed to get the, the screen treatment right. And I suppose, conversely, like this one, the, the darkness of it and the fact that it does have quite a grittiness to it, actually, I mean, this always works for comedies to mm. not overplay the saccharine yeah. side. But I think that works very much in its fa favor uh, for being a, a sort of a credible, very... Um, it, it adds to the comedy and it also adds to the realism. Which is why I wanted to keep it looking grungy as I, as I did, yeah. yeah. So um, just to just to wrap everything up, um, if you could give some advice to a younger version of yourself trying to start out breaking into TV or film. Uh, don't give up. Develop rhino hide. Mm -hmm. um, zigzag because producers will pigeonhole you very quickly. Yes. So That's a good one, yeah. look to explore your directing muscles in different genre and different shows. Mm. keep coming up with projects and collaborations. Even if they don't get made, the conversations about some of your ideas open doors to individuals or companies that can become real in some way later. Believe your instincts. Brilliant. James, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, one Life is one of those films, definitely in my, uh, probably in my top one or two uh, of the awards season. Um, memorable devastating and a must watch so um thank you for having coming on the podcast Tom, thank you very much indeed great so there we have it that was done and that was whoa. whoa dom chatting with james hawes uh about one life which is out in cinemas now go 
watch it. It's ace. Um, uh, but I, th- I thought that was really, really interesting chat you had with him. It went deep, and I, I really like that. Um, and I really like what you said about cinema has a chance to come back in 2024. Yep. I think people want to go back to the cinemas. I think people want movies like One Life. I think they want to express themselves, you know, by coming away from a cinema screening, a cinema watch viewing and knowing how that feels because it does feel amazing it's so different to when you watch something at home uh, so I, I, yep. I really like what you said about that I thought it was great really interesting lovely well I like what you said about what I said so, so excellent yeah. excellent I also like what you said about what he said uh, <laughs> about um, <laughs> about pitching as well and uh, how he had to really persuade the team in a way of slow horses of mm. why he should get the job uh, and I, yeah. that, that just goes to show it doesn't matter how much TV you've made doesn't matter how many films you've made doesn't matter how big you are in the filmmaking TV world you've still got to deliver on what mm. the studio the money people want yep. you have to persuade them He's, you have to seesaw your chance and just jump on it that's a reference to the production company who made uh slow horses I like that they also made One Life and One Life actually yeah there you go Um, there you go right so that was the uh, Dom chatting with James Hawes next week well actually this Friday Dom is sitting down again uh, with another amazing director George C. Wolfe I'm doing these days about (laughs) Rustin I know just sitting down chatting Um, and then on Tuesday we have Oppenheimer the team behind Oppenheimer the ladies who really helped to get this film looking the way it did so that will be next Tuesday for you Until then, though, you should go out there and do whatever you can to get your films and TV shows and documentaries made. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it's your duty too. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger took his his horse in the elevator in True Lights. Um, But if your horse is slow, I wouldn't necessarily send it into the the elevator. So maybe take your horse very carefully down the stairs um, and and really, really think about the, the corners. There we go. Um, that's a metaphor for life, if I've ever heard one. That'll be on T-shirts soon, Dom. That, that, was, that was up there. It was astounding. <laughs> until, ne- until Friday, everyone, where we have Rustin. Um, we will see you next Tuesday as well for Oppenheimer. Until then, take care, everyone. Bye, Dom. Bye, girls. Bye, everyone. Bye. And happy new year. Bye.